What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Sapira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. And it's funny, and I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. I'll tell you why. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. And today we're going to be talking about Alex Murdaugh, this South Carolina lawyer who killed a bunch of his family members and people associated with him. And it's just kind of spiraled out of control for this guy. He's been disbarred, so we have that. God knows what kind of havoc he was able to wreak you know, while he was practicing in an influential position in that county we'll get into it don't forget to follow us on instagram and facebook at death row diaries and check out our patreon page that is patreon.com slash death row diaries where you get access to all kinds of bonus content and episodes that aren't available for free to the general public and and we want to thank all our Patreon subscribers. Stephen, for example, who just subscribed. Just saw that. Thank you, Stephen. Lastly, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. I notice you guys haven't been doing that. Let's do that. We appreciate it. Bill, before we get into Murdoch, we have a quick question from Stephen in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he says... When you leave your cell, are you ever able to kind of relax or are you constantly looking over your back and paranoid? I think he read your book, Escape Artist, and he just wanted you to clarify that. If you are a new listener, Bill, you're on death row in San Quentin. You're there right now. You're calling from your cell. Uh, so that's what that's what he wants to know. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, David. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, there is no way to relax here. Um, there's, it's fear is something I live with every day. And fear is not to say that I'm constantly paranoid or anything like that. No, it's just, you know, kind of one of those things that you realize and you live with. You have to be alert. And as I always close the episode with be aware of your surroundings and those who are in it. And that's basically what I have to do. Every one of the men that are on the yard with me, and although I'm no longer sentenced to death because I'll be sentenced to something uh, lesser in the next couple months because my conviction was reversed and thrown out, um, you have to understand that you're in a, a yard with 750 plus murderers. And they're always scheming. They're always thinking of ways to victimize people or at least intimidate people and get something out of you. So, yeah, I live with fear. I, I don't feel that I'm paranoid. I'm just very aware of my surroundings and who are in it. So there is no moment of relaxation. There is no moment of just closing my eyes and, and pretending about the beach. You can't escape the 
bars, and especially you can't escape the murderers that are around you. Yeah, I would imagine so. And we've gotten a lot of details on that in the past few episodes. In the last Patreon episode, you just talked about being a few feet away from a guy that got killed by one punch and you have a lot of stories like that unfortunately so it makes sense what you're saying you have 60 seconds remaining that's my cue to call back <laughs> hey man all right so you're gonna take us through this whole saga with alex murdoch and he had a pretty comfortable setup he had sort of a quasi-corrupt existence where he was able to exploit his position and, you know, work the government, work the county angle, and no one really knew who he was. He had this generational wealth, and he had a pretty sweet setup in, you know, bumfuck South Carolina. And, you know, there was really not any attention brought to him, it seems like, until his son drunkenly insisted on on piloting a boat and unfortunately killed a young high school girl and i think that's where this kind of butterflies from is that your perspective well sort of it kind of brings attention to him but we have to really look at this guy you know and usually on death row diaries we go through the childhood of the serial killer and why he turned out this way and look, this guy right here is just a natural-born snakeskin salesman. This is what this guy, or snakeskin oil. This guy is the classic, you know, grew up in great homes, money, influence, power, everything you could want, and this guy had it. And to go down that, you, down that trail, you have to look at who he was or who he is and who his family is. His great-great-grandfather... Randolph Murdoch, in the 1920s, he's the chief prosecutor in South Carolina in five county regions, and it, it spans 3,200 miles. This guy is like the man. And then his son, Randolph Jr., who is known as Buster, takes over his father's role as the prosecutor in in that position for 46 years, basically running the entire county. Of course, then Randolph III takes over that position, and he serves until 2006, where we come across this cat, which is Alex Murdoch, and he doesn't follow in his footsteps of his um, great-grandfather, grandfather, father, and that is to be a prosecutor. Although he did serve as an acting prosecutor on several cases during his career. So he is a lawyer, as probably everybody knows, but it's just what this guy does with his position that just kind of shocks people because until these deaths, because there's a number of deaths and murders, do people really focus on this guy and they see how he operates? It'd be kind of a miracle if this guy wasn't a racist, right? I know that really doesn't have anything to do with the story. It's just something that occurred to me. Well, if you take a look at him, you know, he kind of, you know, he's, 
you know, strawberry blonde hair, kind of overweight, you know, guy who has a smirk on his face most of the time, kind of believes he's probably smarter than everybody around him. Yeah, so I, I can see how you can kind of draw those inferences, but unless we know this for a fact, I don't want to put a, a hood in a, in a clan's outfit on this guy just yet. I just, you know, we have to look at the case itself. But, yeah, I mean, South Carolina, you know, uh, you know, we've, we've had some incidents there where there's been cross-burning is another thing. So I can see where you can pick that up from. So, yeah, this guy, like you said, he's kind of already using his job as a, a hustle. You know, there's a conflict of interest here. And it's it's just hard. Like, from the outside, it seems like he's got it made. He's got a family. He's got his douchebag kids. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. That are following in his footsteps. He's got these properties with names on them. He lives at the beach half the time. Whatever. Uh, but I'm guessing something wasn't right kind of early on. And I don't know when he started with the pills. I don't know if maybe he started drinking and it spiraled or or what. But th there's something just kind of rotten with him naturally, yeah, right? Be, yeah, absolutely. And, and we see this after. It all begins to spiral when on June the 7th of 2021, which was last year, it's when this really... I guess it starts where people start noticing this guy because prior to that, there's not a whole lot of interest in him. So on June 7, 2021, a phone call is made to 911. And it is Alex Murdoch. And he is distraught. He is he's called 911. He says that his son and his wife have been shot to death and that he found him in the kennels on the floor. Um, you know, his wife, Maggie, and his son, obviously, Paul, who was 22, he's a University of South Carolina student, and the police arrive, and that's exactly what they find. They find two bodies, they're riddled with bullets, and it is his son, Paul, and his wife, Maggie, and that's where the investigation starts with this, but there are no arrests, there are no suspects, um... For a year, nothing happens. I mean, this case basically starts to go away, but it seems that Murdoch himself is bringing attention to his own, to his, his doorstep because of his actions after he reports the murder of his wife and child. Yeah, it just doesn't really add up. Well, I mean, I, I guess if, if you commit a crime, you're not a guy who commits murders all the time. You're not a criminal. In theory, you would know what to do. You could read books on it. You could go on the internet. You could watch movies. But unless you do it, you don't know how you're going to respond. And I think with him, everything seems to be motivated around money and reputation. The money he needs to continue with this facade of who he is, and at the same time, to cover up so he can keep this stellar reputation of one of the Murdoch's, you know, the, the, fam, the first family of South Carolina and all this stuff. It, that, that's basically what he's playing catch-up, trying to cover things up. And what we see happen here is, so there, there are no arrests for a year. Nothing. It's just completely dead issue. And then on September 
early September, he is, he get, 911 gets another call from this guy. And in this call, he says that he's been shot in the head by a person who pulled up next to his car while he was trying to fix a tire, and they shot him. So the police come, and yet sure enough, this guy's got a bullet hole, a bullet hole to part of the head. He's, you know, taken to the hospital. But as soon as this happens, he changes the story. You know, he says, look, uh, I paid my cousin to shoot me. So it would look like a murder because suicide would pay for the, the death benefits. So I wanted someone to kill me. So $10 million would go to my son, Buster. And that's why I did it. And then, of course, they, they, they bring his, his cousin, Curtis. I mean, think about the You know, you got the son, Buster. You got the son, Curtis. I mean, the cousin, Curtis. You got this whole, like, again, you know, Appalachian you know, deliverance type of deal going here. And he immediately apologizes. He says, listen, um, you know, my name's Alex Murdoch. I'm, I'm checking into rehab because all this is happening because I'm thinking straight. I am hooked to Oxycontin. And this is why all this is transpiring. See, he blames it on the drug addiction. Little does he know that Cousin Curtis is saying, no, 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 that's not how it happened. Murdo was trying to kill himself. I grabbed the gun to stop him from shooting himself. But law enforcement doesn't believe Cousin Curtis. They charge him with assault, assisting in a suicide, and attempt to, to uh, defraud insurance. So this, again, there's the money angle. Murdo is looking for some way of getting money to his family to cover his tracks. Yeah, and they were killed at the family home. Now, detectives, right away, there probably was some motive for someone else to kill the son because, as I mentioned, the son was driving a boat. He insisted on driving it. He was drunk. He killed this girl. Um, You know, she was decapitated basically when he drove the boat under a, a bridge and he wasn't really remorseful. He kind of laughed about it. He's got some psychopathic tendencies or, or whatever. So that could have been an issue. A lot of people were, were mad. And plus they figure his dad is, you know, who he is and his family's who he is. He's not going to pay for what he did. So I, I get wanting to kill him. In fact, I support that. But um, the wife, you know, like, so these records were sealed for a while, and we were talking about it before the show, but we still don't totally know why he did this, do we? Well, we don't, but we get a pretty good glimpse of what motivates this guy. And you're right. Everything's been sealed to a, a couple of days ago. And usually prosecution, when they're trying to prosecute, they usually say, look, the guy robbed the store and he killed this person because they're trying to put this out. Unfortunately, in this case, it's different because of who Murdoch is and the kind of influence he has. And, of course, you're right regarding the boating accident. The police weren't really too interested in prosecuting or even investigating it because of who the Murdochs are. The son, Paul, who was the drunk driving the boats and who, of course... Uh, 
led to the, the death of the young lady. Uh, in uh, her name is Mallory Beach. She was 19 years old. But even when they filed the police report on the boating accident, they didn't have him as the driver. He had very, you know, casually kind of stepped away like he was there, but he was not the driver, which in fact he was. And the body does not resurface till a day, a couple of days later that they find her in the marshes close to where the boating accident was. So there is an investigation, but nothing comes of it until the family, the Beach family, files a lawsuit for wrongful death. And in that indictment, Paul is mentioned, who is the son of Alex Murdoch, and who is the victim that's found at the kennels dead by shooting, along with his mother. So yeah, you, you begin to see that this family isn't in clean. You have a lot of, a lot of Kennedy out aspects that, you know, he's driving a, a car drunk and, he, and, a, and a young lady dies and they don't charge him with it. So you have the same type of thing going on here where you have a family that's very influential, law enforcement knows who they are, the prosecution knows who they are because basically their prosecutor was the Murdoch family until 2006. And sometimes after that, Alex Murdoch himself worked at the prosecution officer as a special prosecutor. She could see how people are less than enthusiastic about charging someone in this family, especially a guy with the influence of Alex Murdoch. Yeah. So now we have the his son and his wife are shot dead. And people start taking a look back to 2018 when his housekeeper who was kind of part of the family and she, you know, in, in those kind of setups, you know, the housekeeper is always there, basically raises the kids a lot of times. And she had allegedly fell down the stairs. And now that's starting to look a little bit suspicious because her, her kids were supposed to get some money and uh, they didn't get it. Yeah, that, I guess so. Yeah, so you know we don't have a real motive. The prosecutor. You have sixty seconds remaining. We don't have a real motive. The prosecutor is giving us, but you can see very easily how this guy operates, what his motives are, and why he does what he does at particular times in his life. And we'll get into that when I come back. Yes. Yeah, so he convinces. Gloria Satterfield, the housekeeper's sons, to let him handle the insurance payout, which they think is reasonable because he's a friend of hers, a, a family member, and a, a prominent lawyer. So I, I understand why they trusted him with that. But, you know, they're starting to figure something's off. Now, as far as his motivation with all this, it's, I think it's obviously money, but. Even with the drug problem that we'll hear about later, I'm wondering where all the money is going because I don't really think this guy's like paying a mortgage and, and he's making a pretty no, good no, salary. Yeah, you're right. We're, you know, we're kind of going backwards and we're kind of all over the place when it comes to these deaths, but we're doing so for a reason. And the audience is probably going, well, you, you, know, you just jumped to February of 2018. Well, it's important for us to show what this guy's doing and the and give motive possibly why his son Paul was killed and how he was involved. 
but we, we're jumping to we're jumping to February the uh, second, two thousand eighteen, and his housekeeper, as you mentioned, Gloria Satterfield, according to family, she trips. That meaning the Murdoch family, she trips over one of the dogs and falls down the stairs and dies. So, I mean, that's pretty reasonable. They think that's probably okay. So there really isn't a whole lot of investigating done because of it. But at the funeral, Alex Murdoch introduces Gloria's two sons to a guy by the name of Corey Fleming. And he is a close friend of Murdoch. He's also a lawyer. And they could tell the sons, listen, we're going to file a lawsuit on your behalf to get a settlement from Murdoch's insurance company. Now, that immediately would strike me as being suspicious. Why would the person who's going to get sued introduce the sons of the victim to a prominent lawyer who specializes in lawsuits so he could sue me, the guy who knows that the, when the person died? But the sons, of course, they're grieving their mother's death. They're not really thinking about this. They say, go ahead. And we flash forward that then the money, the, there's $4.3 million payout. But the sons hear nothing about this. Murdoch doesn't mention it. The lawyer, Curtis Fleming, who was representing the sons, doesn't mention it. And the money basically disappears between Corey Fleming and Alex Murdoch. The money's gone. No one knows where it's at. And then, of course, after you know this death happens, all this is going on. No one knows about money. No one's really upset. Then we have the murder of the wife and child. And by this time, Alex Murdoch is being disbarred by the state of South Carolina. The firm that he worked at is checking on him, and they discover something that no one even ever imagined. It was that Alex Murdoch, during his tenure at the law firm, had been defrauding the firm of millions of dollars. They immediately fire him, they terminate his, his, uh, his employment there. Well, he was a partner, actually. And this is like this, this slick slide that he begins to go down because now everybody's all right so authorities everyone's aware that this guy is a a criminal and that he's he's stealing money and but his brother for example is obviously pissed about that but i think everyone kind of feels like it's a jump to think that he would be capable of killing his wife and son. You know, a guy that's siphoning money from a law firm, his, you know, family's law firm. Yeah, bad guy. He's got a lot of problems. But there's just not that many people that kill their son and wife. So I would, I would understand how they would be kind of confused and maybe not even think that was possible. You are correct. But there seems to be bodies popping up everywhere, and that's what's beginning to get law enforcement to the point that they no longer can turn a blind eye to this guy's actions. So we have to go, again, a little bit 
back in time to March 2019, where the Beach family files the wrongful death suit. And now it becomes serious. Now there's a body, and it's connected to Murdoch, the family, because of that young woman who died in the boating crash. So the following month, in April, Paul Murdoch, the son who becomes victim later, is indicted by the Attorney General for wrongful death. And now things begin to get a little hedgy, and police are beginning to look into what's going on. They no longer can ignore or turn a blind eye because there are other authorities that are now stepping in and saying, wait a minute, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you investigate this? And what's going on with that death certificate when it comes to Gloria Satterfield? Because law enforcement then began to look into the death of Gloria Satterfield because the Murdoch accounts of what happened that day are only substantiated because the coroner uh, would have agreed. It turns out that when they begin to investigate this, well, we don't know it's homicide yet, when they start investigating the death of Gloria Satterfield, the housewife, they discover that a coroner was a coroner was never notified, and there was no autopsy. And then they look at the papers where she's being uh, her death certificate is listed as natural causes of death. So law enforcement then gets a court order to exhume the body after receiving permission from her sons. Because now they're already also aware that the money, the $4.3 million, are gone. They don't know where it's at. So they're investigating this. And it just begins to slide. Murdoch is getting desperate. He sees all this stuff going on, and lo and behold, we go back three years, 2015, July 8th, and a, a gentleman by the name, well, a young boy actually, Stephen Smith, 19 years old, he's found dead about eight to nine miles from the Murdoch home. And there's never been an arrest. There's never been a cause of death. There's never been anything. It's been swept under the rug. And now the authorities have connected that murder or suspected that murder has to do with Alex Murdoch himself. Yeah, so they have to start building a case. I feel like even the public might think this is, you know, they might be incredulous because... It's just, uh, it's so out there. It's just so bizarre. This guy, this dorky looking guy who's, you can't even imagine why he's engaging in this unless it goes really deep or he enjoys it or what. I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, we, you know, absolutely. You have five bodies now. You have five bodies and it's, no one knows why they happened. And it, it really is because they swept it under the rug. You have Stephen Smith. He dies in 2015. You have Gloria Satterfield, 57. She dies in 2018. You have the young woman who dies in the boating accident, uh, Mallory Beach, 2019. And then you have the 2021 double homicide of his wife and son. You have five bodies. So now law enforcement makes a move. They charge Murdoch with two counts of obtaining property by false pretenses in relation with the missing $4.3 million for the fraud, fraudulent uh, lawsuit uh, based on the, the, the death of Gloria Satterfield. You have that going on. So he's charged with that. And then 
he is then, they're looking at him about opening the case about Stephen Smith, the young boy who died in 2015 against Murdoch as well. You also have that he is being investigated for money laundering related to distribution of Oxycontin. And the straight line of connection that is that he admits that he is in rehab for being addicted, addicted to Oxycontin. You have like all of these things happening, and the only logical explanation is money. This guy has money, he wants more money, and he's just a greedy guy who finds situations in order to exploit them. The death of, uh, of the housekeeper, the, the insurance money, Everything, see, he tries to commit suicide, there's a $10 million insurance policy, everything has to do with him collecting insurance money. Yeah, but even then, it's still, he still seems like kind of desperate, and we don't know, you know, only the people involved directly in this case know, but... I feel like he still kind of needs money. I don't know if he owes someone money. We know he's addicted to Oxy and all this, as is probably half of the county where he lives, if not more. But, you know, I watch a lot of pro wrestling documentaries. Maybe you can help me out with this. I'm trying to do the the math here. Uh, You know, Rush Limbaugh. You could take 200 pills a day, maybe at most people get to that point, but... Do you think it's just that or that he gets high and, you know, he blows money on on fancy cars or, or like, I, I still don't understand unless he just wants to, like, bank all the money or is he planning to get a fake passport and move to the Bahamas and get down with 16 year old girls? I don't know. Like, I still don't really understand why he's doing this. Yeah, no, look, for good reason. And the audience is probably guessing, what, what, a Matt and Bill just fumbling around here? No, we're not. He said, no one really knows because his case has not been fully prosecuted yet. He has not gone to, to trial. He has not been convicted of all of these crimes yet. He is in the process of going through a trial. And, of course, both sides are keeping things under the cover. They don't want to let the other side know exactly what they're thinking. The defense is not going to tell the prosecution how they're going to defend the case. And, of course, the prosecution is keeping their cards close to the vest. They don't want to expose the case, and therefore, they're not letting a lot of stuff leak out. But common sense tells you, and the question you had was, well, does Oxycontin, does Oxycontin require that kind of money to support it? And the answer is no. He's charged with money laundering in the distribution of Oxycontin. So this guy had probably all the Oxycontin he wanted to snort, shoot, take, whatever, without having to pay for it. So this has nothing to do with Oxycontin. Oxycontin is probably a way for him that he's laundering money through his firm, he's laundering money through these different ventures of insurance, because remember, his law firm uh, fired him. And there's a reason for that, it's because he was caught with his hand in a cookie jar. He was defrauding clients for millions of dollars. I think it has to do with a very simple thing that we've known throughout history, greed. This guy is a greedy son of a bitch. He wanted the money because he wanted to live a particular lifestyle, he wanted to keep the family name, and probably he's kind of the, look, he's not Randolph Murdoch, 
a great grandfather who was the prosecutor of five different towns that that whole three thousand two hundred square miles. He certainly wasn't his grandfather. He's probably not the smartest guy in, in, in of the bunch. He's probably living under that shadow, and he feels compelled to have to live a certain life in order to continue with this facade of the Mur- the Murdoch family legacy. It's greed. This guy is doing all these things: the insurance, the frauds, the laundry. The, the attempted suicides, those are desperation moments to draw attention away from himself as the perpetrator and more like the victim. I'll call that. Well, one pattern I'm seeing, or one theory, one possibility, and you see this a lot even though it never works, and I think you would just have to be completely insane to think that you could cover your tracks, but a lot of times when you know three four five bodies pile up someone knows something that you did and your plan is to kill everyone that knows about it and uh that's just really hard to do because of the effect of people talking to other people and like you know just whatever the variables are like just a lot of people, you know, find things out and you can't just kill your way out of a problem. Uh, so maybe that's what he was doing. Yeah, that's on the surface. That looks like maybe what he was doing. Um, it, it's, it's a feasible theory. I don't think the prosecution is going to use that. I think what the prosecution is going to do is lay out a case based on his actions. For example, you see, the insurance seems to be a motivating factor. Money seems to be a motivating factor in everything. And of course, you have he's charged with the, you know, the defrauding those two kids of the money, uh, insurance claim policies, and he's actually facing time in prison because of that. And then when he gets really desperate, he tries to do this attempted suicide, which is a murder. So his family gets again. There it is, money. Um, so the prosecution, I think, is going to base their case on that. I don't think that you could say, well, he killed his wife and his son because they knew too much. I think that he would have taken that chance. I think more likely is that there was insurance policies on them. The, the family, I'm probably 100% sure that there was, there was an insurance policy on both his son and his wife. And I'm, I'm sure they were substantial. I'm sure that the prosecution knows this and they've investigated this. However, I will say this. If I am the defense, this is the perfect opportunity to admit that my client's a scumbag, but he's not a murderer. Okay, so let me explain this to you. They're not going to be able to tie Stephen Smith's death from 2015 to murder unless they have DNA, and obviously they don't. They can't tie Gloria Satterfield's death to being a murder because the family was there and he saw her trip and fall. But they can tie defrauding, insurance fraud to him. The body of the young woman that died at the lake, it's a tribute to his son, not to him. So all these things that we have going on have nothing to do with him. The only murders that can be tied to him are his wife and his son. He discovered them. But again, there's no gun residue on his body. 
they did not find the weapon. There's no direct link. If I'm the defense, what I do then is I say, Murdoch is a scumbag. Well, he defrauded money. He needed money. He needed money because in the Oxycontin world, there are a lot of bad characters. And I would make up a mafia, the Southern California ukulele mafia, whatever. And they are pressuring my clients to giving them money, the money from Gloria Satterfield's insurance and the he had to give to these underworld figures. And these underworld figures have been pressuring him, and that's why he tried to kill himself just to get away from it. And when he did not supply the money that they required for him um, to pay whatever it was, rent or whatever they were pressuring him to do, they came to the house and murdered his wife and child. Mr. Murdoch is a fraudy guy. He's a money launderer. He's a, he's a white-collar criminal. These people killed his wife, and he was next. You know, that's I tell you, I guess you, that's the best way to come down. That's pretty good, Bill. You had me convinced for a second there. Then I was like, wait, no, no, no. This guy's, he's a bad guy. None of that checks out. But I, <laughs> I, I like what you did. That's my job. That's yeah. my job as a defense attorney. But look, remember, all he had, the, the defense has to convince is one juror that there is reasonable doubt. That's it. Not 100% proof. Reasonable. That's it. And there are plenty of people out there that didn't come to testify and say, yeah, I am a member of the ukulele mafia, and yes, I know that my boss hired me to pressure this guy to giving up money, and I'm sure that, you know, Yosemite Sam and his partner, Heckle and Jekyll, were the ones that killed his wife. That would, if they could get someone to do something like that, that is exactly what they need to bring reasonable doubt. Where on the opposite side, the prosecution has to really prove their case, prove that he's guilty. That's kind of a hard ladder to, 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 to consent when you have a defense like that, that they have no connection to these murders. The only way he's connected is by trying to defraud insurance policy. Sure, it's a motive. Say, well, he killed him because he he wanted an insurance policy. Well, that's hard to prove because, of course, he did not personally kill Gloria Satterfield. He did not, they can't connect him to Stephen Smith. And what would be the motive? So this case has holes in it. I believe that's why the prosecution has kept this case so sealed and asked the court to seal it because there are definite holes is this guy a scumbag? Absolutely. Do I want to get this guy to come to my house for dinner? No. But there are problems with this prosecution's case. And if they have a good lawyer, which I'm sure he does, they're going to exploit those holes. I'm not going to uh, stay tuned and see what happens with the, the trial. So let's talk about him personally, kind of removed from the trial. We don't know a lot, as we've said, but... There's, I don't think there's any evidence that he had like a fraught relationship with his wife. I don't know if he loved his wife or not. His kid was kind of a little creep, but all accounts say that the kid was going to become a lawyer like his dad and probably end up, you know, groping waitresses at uh, the yard house during a Gamecocks game or whatever. But you know guys like this. You know guys in prison for this kind of thing. I still don't see 
how he could kill his son for whatever motivation unless he's completely deranged. I mean, yeah, I got a problem with that too. I kind of feel like yeah, he I must did. have loved his son because it's his son. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I have a problem with that too. It, it would be very likely for me, if I'm a juror, to actually have a problem with him killing. You know, killing his wife is one thing. Killing his child, that is a difficult because it's, it's, it's a grown young man. He's 22 years old. He's not a drunken bum. He's at the University of South um, uh, Carolina. He's going to be a lawyer. He had, a, well, look, a young woman lost her life, so the, the victim is first and foremost, you know, present in our minds. But if we have to explain it, look, he is one of those, like most college kids. They make mistakes. He, he was drinking, obviously. He wrecked the boat. I'm sure he didn't go out there with the intention to wreck the boat and have a young lady killed. If this is the thing that irresponsible kids do. And, you know, we, we understand that kids are impulsive. They're college kids. We get it. So I don't think he was a bad kid. And ultimately, he is a victim as well because he, he loses his life in this to whoever did it. I can't see the father saying, looking at one morning, he's saying, yeah, you know, I need these $20 million. I'm going to offer my wife and my son unless, as you said, he's completely nuts. And I don't think that's the case. So I would be open to suggestion as to what really happened that night of um, June the, um, the 7th when he discovers the bodies of his wife and son. Was he the killer? We don't know. It, there's a lot of suggestion that he may not have been the killer. There's reasonable doubt in the air. All the defense has to do is give the jury a reason to believe that he is a victim as well, meaning Alex Murda of some kind of conspiracy against his family because he was defrauding all these people. All, you defraud people for millions of dollars, they're pissed off at you. There's no doubt. And there are people out there for a lot less will kill you. So I think that's the angle they're going to use for defense. The prosecution is going to try and say that, no, he did it for insurance and for greed. We're going to stand, stay tuned and see who wins this battle. But this case is ripe for him to be discharged of a double homicide. He's going to get convicted of all the money laundering, the insurance fraud, and all that stuff. And you mentioned him being in jail. Matt, this guy was a prosecutor at one point, too. It doesn't matter his defense attorney. He's accused of killing his son. There's a lot of people in jail that are going to have a problem with that. They're going to have a lot of problems, but he has money, right? There's, there's the assumption that he has money. He's in protective custody. No one near this guy. I can assure you that. Well, they'd have had a problem with him if he didn't do any of this stuff just by virtue of his position, and I, I don't really blame him either for that. Is there an allegory, or are you familiar with anyone on death row, just another instance of someone killing their child? And oh, it, yeah. So no, why, why does that usually happen? Well, usually, there's a couple guys here killing infant children. Um... And it was usually uh, rage that the woman, the wife, or the girlfriend had gone with another man. So these clowns thought, huh, I'll get her back. 
I'll kill my own child or something. I can't even explain. I can't even explain that because I, I can't even get it through my head. I analyze serial killers and I analyze what they do and I process what they do and I hunt them psychologically. But even I can't go that far into trying to imagine what it causes a moron's head to say, huh, I should kill my kid. <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense in my head. I can't even you know, compute it in my head. So I can't tell you. But usually it's based on some type of rage towards the woman um, so they take it out of the child. Well, the trial's just getting underway. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fireworks, and so we're definitely going to do a part two once, you know, a lot of details come out, because this has been just kept under wraps, and we still know a lot, but there's so much more to know, so uh, we're definitely going to follow up with that, right, Bill? Yeah, we're really going to have to wait and see. Um, no one's opened that door yet. When this drug is completely underway and we start, they start pointing fingers, we're definitely going to have to come back to this case and take a look at it and see if I was right in what I said about this guy and, and, and see how the prosecution really jumps over these hurdles that are very difficult to jump over, in particular, the murder of his child. Yeah, and it's all very incestual there, too. And I don't mean that. That's not a dig at South Carolina, is it? Uh, but, you know, who knows what kind of favors a lot of these prosecutors owe him, honestly. Anyway, I'm just being very presumptuous, but we're going to figure it out. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. So until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William DeGuerra.